but it wasn't fulfilling me and it wasn't what I wanted to do long term. And at that point, I had no clue what it was I was going to do, but I just opened up to all the possibilities and knowing that also it wasn't one way or another, your brain can actually help you open up to, there might be thousand possibilities. It doesn't have to be I'm in my corporate job or I'm not. Like there's so many opportunities here. So I then moved, I went on maternity leave with my um, second son. That's when I really got into yoga. And then it was one day I was like, no, that's what I want to do. I want to open a wellness center. So it was really hard from going 12 years in a corporate job, really safe, secure um, environment to change into doing something different. And I truly don't believe I wouldn't have been able to do that without having the brain training coaching that I was um, doing through a neuroplasticity um, perspective. So what I've decided to do here at Indigo is this is going to be a studio that, yes, will definitely focus on the yoga and Pilates, but also when people enter this space here, we're going to be able to do some brain training and we're going to be able to teach ourselves how we can continue on this pathway of um, natural habits or well-being habits, healthy eating, moving your bodies, and why the brain actually stops us from continuing on these habits. So we're gonna teach you how to overcome that and actually achieve what you wanna achieve. So without me going on too much, I'd like to introduce Dr. Selena Bartlett and she's going to give you guys an insight into neuroplasticity and we're gonna do some experiments as well. Yes. <laughs> we're gonna leave here happy, healthy, strong. We're gonna do it fast. We're not gonna take 10 years like I took. Okay, so, um, this is just a really like a little takeaway. So I give talks all around the world. Um, I just won the Neuroscience Award from the Australian Neuroscience Society for my contributions to neuroscience. I gave a big public lecture in Adelaide in December and 500 people from the public came. So that tells me that the time has come even though I've been doing this for a long time. Overnight success, as you know. Um, tells me that people are actually starting to listen, whereas before they thought I was totally crazy. Um, but I'm here to tell you, I'm just going to focus on three things today because I always give way too much information. I've been studying the brain for 30 years around the world. And um, what you're going to hear is just a really small excerpt of what we now understand and what I've learned in the process of the last 30 years. It's going to be about why and how stress physically structurally and chemically wise your brain and how it's happened not just in your lifetime but for millions of years of evolution why do you get stuck why can't you change it's all related to how this has happened and i'm going to show you how and um, what i've learned and what i've had to do for myself n equals one anecdotal experiment to change that because unless you're doing it yourself it's very hard to teach okay so the thing that I've learned and why I've come out of my research lab after being there for 20 years, where I actually have a research lab at the Translational Research Institute, where I actually pull the brain apart and map it down to the synapses um, and also publish scientific papers and all that, um, is that what I've learned is that this can be retrained and rewired. And if it was simple, everyone would be doing it, we wouldn't be suffering. 
Um, as the Buddhists have to, you know, they meditate for 40,000 hours on the mountain to overcome suffering. Um, but anyway, the breakthrough that I didn't think I was going to find in my lifetime is that neuroplasticity is going to disrupt the mental health space. And you're going to say, why? Because we actually have brain imaging technology now for the first time where, where I can actually pull it out and show you. Because people are totally skeptical unless they can see something. So when you're training your arm, you can see it changing, right? So you're totally happy to keep going. But tell me how you can see the changing and the stuff you're doing in your brain, how it's changing the way it's wiring. You can't see it, so you don't believe it. So because of that, a lot of people have stepped into the space, and it's like a vacuum where I feel like it's time for neuroscience. It's, it's people say, well, that's just saying what we already knew, but it's actually not true because um, there's a lot of things that people don't understand because they're not neuroscientists and they haven't pulled the brain down, they haven't seen it under the microscope, they haven't seen that it's physical, it's biochemical, and it's physiological. So that's my, and it's not the end, I'm not saying that that's all, it just doesn't take away spirituality, mindfulness, none of that. But I'm telling you now, unless this part of the brain, which is in the very, very oldest part of the brain, is not retrained, it's very hard to open your mind, as Ali pointed out, to all of these possibilities because we're always stressed out and always reactionary to the things around us. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to show you how and why. Because I am a scientist, I'm also spiritual, but I'm focusing very much on the physicality because I believe that you can actually train the brain like you train an arm and you must, uh, muscle in your arm. So when you learn about neuroplasticity, you can actually, I call this MIG. So the company that I have is called MIGFIT. So my goal and my purpose in my life now is to get everyone MIGFIT or to think about people out there saying, oh, I'm getting MIGFIT when they realize they're doing yoga or breathing or gratitude or all of these different things that people use. On a, when you use it on a daily basis, that becomes hardwired into the brain. You're basically getting MIGFIT. This is the oldest part of the brain. And why it's so hard is because it's so old. It's, I can show it to you in mushrooms. I actually tried to get a mushroom to the West End markets in Brittany today, but they didn't have the bits I needed to show you. So then I thought, I'll bring the coriander, because it's got the roots, but then I forgot. So anyway, so basically, we're, I'll give you the exercises at the end so you can have something to take away. Anyway, the bottom line is you all deserve to be happy, healthy, and strong. Don't believe anyone that tells you you don't. If anyone's wanting to pull you back because they're not happy, healthy, and strong, tell them off because every person on this planet deserves to be happy, healthy, and strong. But it comes from training, like daily training. Okay, so you're gonna say, what are you talking about? So basically, my journey started, um, I didn't think I was gonna be a neuroscientist, but I was a pharmacist, I was doing an honors degree at the University of Queensland, I already did a mathematics degree, I was gonna open up pharmacies for women in Queensland. My sister got a mental illness, and she ended up in a lockup ward in Walston Park. She was in a straight jacket and they overdosed her on a haloperidol. I remember sitting in the room and she was sitting in that corner. She's no longer alive, but she was catatonic from the drugs. And she had really very little happen to her. So at that time, I'm like, we don't really know how the brain works, do we? Ooh, dear. <laughs> that seemed ridiculous, the treatment for this thing. So, so basically, I went back, stopped being a pharmacist, did my PhD in neuropharmacology, Became a neuro, I got my neuroscience training from the Australian National University in Canberra. I got really serious, great, fantastic neuroscience training from the best neuroscientists in Australia. I didn't know that at the time. And then I ended up running a lab at UCSF, University of California, San Francisco, for 12 years. 
So in that role, I went there with two little kids <laughs> and started a lab over there, totally crazy at 37, um, because they had better technology for us to actually study inside the brain and how it works um, than we had in Australia in the 90s. So that's why I ended up there in 2000. Now, through that experience, I just want to tell you that I was a pharmacist, medically trained neuroscientist. I ended up leading the whole of their medications development program, the Department of Neurology. So my job was to come up, because we got $150 million from the state of California to develop a treatment for alcohol addiction. But as scientists, we want to be rich and famous, well not rich, but famous. And so they're all off doing their experiments and publishing and big, paper, you know, big papers, but no one was focusing on the patients. And so they asked me to do that, so I said yes. Crazy idiot, but um, I did it. And they gave me $1 million in one year to develop a treatment for alcohol addiction. So I put my pharmacist hat on and I worked with Pfizer and tons of companies in America and our lab was the first to demonstrate that varanoclean can inhibit nicotinic receptors inside the brain and reduce alcohol intake. And we translated that into small clinical trials. Now, why I tell you that is because that's how I thought. If I just pull the brain apart down to its minutia and just worked out the right pathways inside the brain and the proteins and got drugs to target those, then we'd come up with a better treatment for my system. Um, so you have to understand my whole life purpose is to understand the brain to improve the life of people. So I'm not there just to become a neuroscientist and become a professor and head of a university. I'm there, my purpose is to understand the brain so we can improve the lives of people and how we treat mental health. We have to disrupt the space. It's totally crazy right now. So in that journey, when I was at UCSF, the godfather of neuroplasticity set up their lab next to mine. One day we're crossing each other in the corridor. Here I am the director of medications development and a pharmacist. And she looked at me and she says, Celine, do you really think that all of this is going to be solved by developing drugs? I said, yes. She said, come up to my lab. I said, okay. So I go up there and she's got these adult animals um, treadmills and she can actually look inside their brain, these are adult animals, and she can actually map the synaptic changes inside the brain, in the top part of the brain, which is our human part of the brain, which gets taken down by stress, okay? So basically, uh, that kind of planted the first seeds. And then I got recruited back to Australia to, um, as a research capacity building professor at, the, at QUT, but I have a research lab at the Translational Research Institute. Now, in that transition phase, um, a lot of things happened. I don't have time to go into it. This is for you. But, but, but the bottom line is, um, I, without, I've kind of got to cut it short, but basically the bottom line is I learned that neuroplasticity versus medications is going to be the revolution with digital technology, brain imaging technology, that's going to disrupt the mental health space. Plus big data, machine learning, biofeedback, and all of these things. Plus the complete observation that you actually don't know the changes because you haven't created them yet. So how do we study them in the lab? So neuroplasticity is the pieces of the synapses that you can't even see yet. Does that make sense? So you have this brain, but when you push hard on something and do it over and over again, you're actually creating a new pathway. So we can't actually see that yet. So if, uh, I hope that makes sense. We'll see by the end of the day. But anyway, so this, these are all, I've got a TEDx talk, I've got podcasts and stuff like that now, but and I've written hundreds of pa uh, hundred scientific papers on this. So 
for you, um, if you just put your hands on your, um, on your hips and put your shoulders back and take a deep breath right now, this is your very, very first biohack. And take a deep breath. You can even reach up and smile and say hi to your neighbor. Dance. Woo. <laughs> Hello. Yes. Um, quick question if you're going to have no a worries. Um, I'm just wondering where our little people sit. Oh, yes. Because if they've had beautiful births, they're already perhaps being sick. No, they're not. Oh, they're not? No, so I'll, I will touch on that. Awesome, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, but this is definitely where we've got to change the education. We've got to change, get this to children and families because of neuroneurons. Because everyone's copying each other. Yeah. This coronavirus is a great example of neuroneurons. <laughs> um, toilet paper. Um, anyway, so did you notice that you feel a little better by doing this? So basically, immediately you just biohacked that part of your brain. And if you did that every day, when you start to get stressed, your brain will automatically move to that behaviour if you train it. Does that make sense? So if this makes you feel better, why is it that we don't do it? Why aren't we scanning every day to do it, as an example? Okay, so why is because, um, basically, stress over centuries, not even your lifetime, you've come into this world pre-wired by millions of years of survival. So why, bring, why I want to bring in the coriander roots and the mushroom roots is to demonstrate to you that the circuits where those mushrooms are talking to each other underneath the ground and plants that are gaining nutrition are actually using the same pathways that we use in our brain for signaling. I can actually pull them apart down to the bits and pieces and show you that we have the same circuits. That's how old that part of the brain is. So what happens is under stress, so what we're looking at here is brain activity. So in red is like an increase in oxygen and blood flow. And this is the human part of the brain. So our human part of the brain, which is the newest, is actually the weakest. It's the weakest, right? The strongest part of the brain is the bottom part of the brain, which actually processes stress and fear and anxiety-like things at 10x the rate of positive because of survival. So mushrooms and worms and plants, we've come on that journey, and so our main job for our brain is to stay alive, that's it. So because of that one fact, and because we're a sensory organism, we're sensing the environment all the time, that's our job, um, it's always going to take in things that are going to activate that part of the brain first. And that's been learned over centuries. So you've heard about your genetic blueprint, can't teach an old dog new tricks, well that's total garbage. Um, and you've heard about epigenetics, you've heard about how your environment shapes your genetic profile. We now have tons of evidence to demonstrate that the junk DNA, which is non-coding RNAs, actually hold memories. that that give you behaviours that come from five centuries ago, or even from mushrooms, for example. So if you don't have that knowledge, and you're wondering why you get stuck all the time or why it's so hard to change, and not understand that's a physical thing happening inside the brain, that's why I came out of my lab, to demonstrate how to change that, how to rewire it, how neuroplasticity is the hope that we can actually rewire these parts of the brain. And without, so under stress, this human part of the brain, see there's no red there, it's not working. 
So when you get stressed, that human prefrontal cortex part of the brain is shut off. And I'm going to give you demonstrations to show you why. So that's the bottom line, folks. So unless we can work out how to increase the activity in that part of the brain, which is what brain training and neuroplasticity can actually do, it's very hard because stress doesn't go away. You notice that? You think, I'll just get rid of that one, and then another one comes. And it's like how you're teaching your brain to handle it is how the change comes. So these are the sort of experiments I do in my research lab. Um, so we actually do animal experiments because it's really hard to get humans to be, you know, I can't really pull your brain apart, unfortunately. We can now brain scan it, though. So basically, this is the control, and then under stress, you can see that the physical synaptic connections inside the brain have changed and are being wired by stress. It's physical. It's physiological and it's biochemical. Right? So yeah, under here, you can see different... Um, boutons, different ways of signaling. I won't go into all those, you don't need to remember it. It's just that I just want to make that, I just want to emphasize how important that is. And you're going to say to me, why does our brain do that to us? Because we're so clever. You know, we're not like cats and worms. We have capacity to, like social media is driving all this negative information. Yeah. And if you don't, if you look at the news now, don't think your brain's not going to be stressed out. Because the way they report the news, you just If you really be honest and just go and read a headline and look at the words they're using, it's getting worse and worse and worse and worse the way they're reporting because they're trying, the only way they get money is by your clicks. And people, because of brain, and, and now we really stress everyone out, they're just clicking on the worst words. And they know that. And I talked to David Fagan who ran the Courier Mail and they said, do you understand you're stressing everyone? He goes, yeah, I told that to Rupert Murdoch, but he... And, but people do like positive, they do like positive information, right? No, that people do want positive stories and they will click on them, but they do know the negative always wins because what did I tell you? It's how the brain is wired. And so if you get up and look at the news and see, and it's, it's just immediately going, and emails or... Yeah, really at least for like the first 10 or 15 yeah. minutes if you can. Like if you make that first step, the new automatic thing. Yeah, yeah it makes Another a big difference. Another thing I do is set alarms in my calendar every two hours that just pops up and it reminds me, it might just be random like, where are you? Where are you at right now? And it just triggers you to check in because so many of us go, all right, I've got all this to-do list to do, run about everything that we're doing. But you need to stop and pause. It's that pause Selena talked about and it is the most important thing yeah, to just check in with yourself. Yeah. Are you, rate yourself one to five, one being, holy shit, no, you're right. I just had a friend say something and it fully just pissed me off. Or, <laughs> and you're like thinking, oh, I'm shit now. Like you go over in your head about, and you self-sabotage yourself. Or you're a five and you're doing well and be like high fives to yourself. But like just check in and then use some of those biohacks, like the power pose, go look at the tree. Go for a walk, do something to help whatever it is in that moment that you have access to to start to lower your stress, to calm your amygdala back down and turn that neuron back on to yeah. frequency. And the more you do it, you're actually rewiring it. Yeah. So that it, so it's not always going to be like this forever. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? You're actually, so in terms of brain imaging, you know, they scan the Buddhists that have meditated for 40,000 hours and then prefrontal cortex is expanded and their response to fear has gone away. So as you're doing this and you're getting MIG fit, 
you will become less reactionary. So it's a training mechanism. So it's training your brain like you're training um, like your arm to get a bicep. That's it. We're just training the physicality and the biochemistry. Right? We talk about words, but I'm trying to bring in neuroscience. So you've got to combine the neuroscience with the words that we've been given forever, that we've got this, we've got that, we've got this, we've got that, blah, 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 blah. Right? Yes, we do. But, but when you work out that you have power to train it like a muscle and that you can change it that way, can you see why it's going to disrupt mental health? When you have the power and knowledge of ACEs, neuroplasticity, um, where it's all come from, and you recognise you can actually retrain it. I know it's bad to think you now have responsibility to do that um, for your family and for the future, for our race. But the fact is that we do have that power, and that's why I'm out of my lab to tell you that, to give you the tools, to do everything I can to give you the tools, because you deserve to be happy, healthy, and strong. Because we're only here for about a microsecond. <laughs> it's when you wake up in the morning thinking of three things you're grateful for, as opposed to grabbing your phone or something in the morning that you would normally do. So for me, um, the three key things I have done to try to help change my my brain um, is the three things in the morning. First thing, think of three things you're grateful for. And I wake up to a baby crying, um, so that's my alarm. But instead of racing straight there, I will, on my walk to the bedroom, think of three things I'm grateful for. And what that does is it sets your mind up in a more positive way, as opposed to being like, oh, I'm so tired, I'll go, why is he awake now? Yeah, so on, the, on that point is that if you don't do that, because the brain's a machine, yeah. it will go looking for negative. Yeah. And the other thing is definitely the power pose. So if you can stand up, because the main thing for me is being aware. So when you're stressed or something happens, so an example of this is um, I had a business partner with me and she, her dad all of a sudden got cancer and then her mum broke her back and then she left the business. All these things happen and my amygdala started to flare and I was like, Okay, I can't do this. I'm going back to my corporate job. It's safe. And That's I literally when I went into that mode. But just by coming aware that your amygdala was flaring up, I was like, okay, hang on a sec. No, I'm not going to overthink this now. I'll deal with this later. And I wouldn't do yoga class. Or you go do something that makes you feel good. Another one I like if you can't get to doing any sort of meditation or anything is go outside and look up at the trees. It automatically will calm you down. So it's those little things. But First and foremost, it's definitely just being aware that you've activated the stress in your body. Yeah. So that's where the knowledge matters. Like without seeing those brain images and having the knowledge, it's like you're just floating around in a vacuum. Do you know what I mean? Like you need, it's like education raises all boats. And that's the beauty of now. We have capacity to, like social media is driving all this negative information. Yeah. And if you don't, if you look at the news now, don't think your brain's not going to be stressed out. Because the way they report the news, you just if you really be honest and just go and read a headline and look at the words they're using, it's getting worse and worse and worse and worse the way they're reporting because they're trying, the only way they get money is by your clicks.